Amen, amen. How's that? That a whole lot better? Yes, yes, yes. Good to see you guys today. Thank you so much for being with us. Hey, in the seats when you walked in is a card like this. Grab that card out. Wave it at me real quick. Just wave it in the air like you just don't care. There you go. Got your card out. So this right here on October the 13th, this is our brand new sermon series that we're starting up called Difficult People. Come on, turn to somebody and say, you're not difficult. You're not difficult. You don't want to miss this series. So here's what I'm asking you to do. On the back of this card, you've got a spot right there that says, I'm inviting and praying for, and then you've got three people. Now, you can invite a lot more than that, but you have three people. You have three separate cards right here. Tear them off, give them out to someone, and let them know where we are. It's got the address and everything already there. So grab that. Fill that out. Be praying about who you're going to bring on October the 13th. It's going to be a great, great day. We've got a special surprise for you on October the 13th when you come in here. We're going to be having a baptismal service on that day. We've already got four people signed up to be baptized. Come on, guys. We're looking for a lot more than that. And so if you're interested in that, there's a sign-up sheet out there in the foyer. Grab that, sign up, and we're looking forward to that. So go out and invite someone and encourage someone and just be a part and just uh, say, man, God is doing some amazing things over there. You need to come check it out. And so let me also throw out to you guys, don't forget this coming up Friday is our annual spaghetti supper. So if you want to go out on like a date night, you just come here. We, tell, we got you taken care of. Come here, but they're selling tickets right now for spaghetti supper. If you're willing to help out, be here at 9 o'clock Friday morning. 9 o'clock Friday morning. And I know we have some vegetarians in the house today. And so listen, there's going to be a line for you to make salads and everything. But hear me, we're not going to put you there in Jesus' name. We're going to put you where the meat sauce is because you need to get saved. Amen? Nothing like a good old cheeseburger. So anyway, if you're interested in helping out or being a part of that, this is eat in or take out. So if you're looking for a ticket and you want to buy a ticket, kick, uh, hit up one of our teenagers walking around the house and uh, grab hold of them. Incidentally speaking, a lot of our teenagers went to Carowinds yesterday. Come on. Where you at? Carowinds. They had a great time. And so a lot of them are... They got in at 2 o'clock this morning, 2 o'clock this morning, so a lot of them are still in bed asleep. So anyway, but it's so good to see you guys. Hey guys, we've been in a sermon series that we started last week called, what is it? Investing in forever. Investing in forever. And last week I brought out my rope. I brought my rope out for you last week. Now if you would, imagine this rope just kind of goes on for eternity. It goes on forever. Naturally it stops right there, but just imagine it goes on forever. This is your eternal life. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that God has set eternity in our hearts. So whether we know it or not, we're going to spend eternity somewhere. So this rope represents our eternal life. This tape right here represents our life here on earth. This is our time that we have here on earth. This is eternity, 
This is what we have here on earth, whether it's 60, 70, 80, 90, 100. I talked to a family just the other day, and a guy said that his great-great-grandmother was 105 years old. Come on, imagine that. So anyway, over how many years that is, this is what represents that time and space. And so we began talking about last week this idea of understanding that the decisions that we make in this part of our life determine where we spend eternity at. So wherever I am on this tape right here, there's going to come a day where the tape's going to run out and I'm literally going to stand before God. And when I stand before God, you understand there's no more second chances at this point in time. The, the, the eternity of my life will already have been decided at this point in time. And so we begin to talk about, in light of this right here, what decisions can I make to say I'm investing in eternity? Because oftentimes, this right here becomes all-consuming to us. This little space right here, we get consumed with everything that's happening right here in this point in time. But we said last week, we're going to make a statement, I'm investing in forever. I'm not just going to get caught up on this part. I'm going to get caught up on eternity. The Apostle Paul told us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. He says, we fix our eyes. I love that word fix there. It, it, it means to set your gaze like legs are being focused. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So oftentimes what happens in life is we get so fixated on these moments right here. But the Apostle Paul says you got to be careful to not be consumed with this. Not fix your eyes totally on this, but to fix your eyes on eternity. And so we actually had a key quote from last week as well. Everybody ends up somewhere. Very few end up somewhere on purpose. Everybody ends up somewhere. Very few people end up there on purpose. And so during this series, we're asking the question... What are some choices that we need to make right now? Some decisions that we need to make right now while we're in this phase of our life that can affect our eternity. Because at the end of the day, we want to be able to stand before God and say, Lord, I'm focusing on forever. I'm going to focus my life on what eternally matters. And I told you last week, there's a lot of ways I can ask you to do that. Uh, I can ask you to serve more, to give more of your time, to join a bridge group. Uh, many of you are doing that, which incidentally, there's still time to sign up for bridge groups. We have six of them going on right here at the end of service. If you'll just go right outside in the foyer out there, there'll be someone to help you with that. I encourage you to that. So I could ask you to do all of that, and, and I have. But I'm asking you to do this. Make this statement. I'm investing in forever. I'm asking you to do it with your finances. And so on October the 6th, we're going to do what we call an offering fit for a king. We do this once a year. And I'm asking you to do one or two things. To prayerfully consider, do one or two things. Number one, if you're not tithing, tithe is 10% of your income. We'll talk a lot about that next week. So if you're not here next week, I'll know why. But if you're not tithing, I'm going to ask you to prayerfully consider to tithe on October the 6th. If you are tithing, then I'm going to ask you on October the 6th to prayerfully consider giving sacrificially. 
And I don't mind telling you that, that Misty and I and Samantha and Lane and all of our kids, and if Caleb and Aiden had a job, I'd pull them in too. We as a family are starting to pray about this to say, God, you know, for us, a tithe is automatic. It's something we just do. And so now we're saying, okay, God, what would you have us to give above and beyond what we're already given. What can we sacrificially, God, give to you? And so again, I'm asking you to prayerfully consider doing that on October the 6th. And so again, we talked about all of that last week. Are you guys ready to get into it this week? Let me give you a quick story I run across some time ago. There was a barber in a small town that was feeling very generous one week. And so when the local baker came in for a haircut, that barber gave him a haircut free of charge. The next morning as that barber was walking to his shop, he was amazed to find a dozen donuts waiting for him at his door. Later on that day, a florist came in. Again, that barber, still feeling very generous, gave the florist a haircut completely free of charge. The next day, the florist is, is not there. So the next day, the barber walks up, and to his amazement, on the outside of his doorstep, where his shop was, there was a dozen red roses. So later on that day, a preacher came in. The barber, still feeling generous, gave that preacher a haircut, completely free of charge. And the next day, you guessed that as he walked to his shop, there were 12 preachers on his doorstep wanting a free haircut. <laughs> Somebody say, God bless the preacher. <laughs> Listen to me today, guys. If there's one thing that overwhelms us in life, it is resources. If there's one thing that creates stress and anxiety, it is financial pressure. The number one factor that causes marital strife and divorce is money. You know, we all get married and, you know, you got nothing but love, baby. But how many of you know love don't pay the light bill? Come on, are you with me today? How many of you have ever made a big-time mistake regarding money? Anybody ever done that? Do you know what that makes you over 12? That's what it does. How many of you have made some bad decisions as it relates to finances and resources? Some of us have a Ph.D. in D-U-M-B. But what I want to do today is I want you to, I want you to see this because I want, you to leave, I want you to live free from stress and worry and anxiety. I don't want you to be shackled by pain and the strain and the struggle of finances. And so I want to go to what is the best book ever written on finances, and that's the Bible. Do you know that in the Scriptures there are over 500 verses on prayer? There are over 500 verses on faith. There are over 2,300 verses on money, possessions, and finances. Almost two-thirds of the parables that Jesus told had to do with money. Jesus spoke more about money and possessions than He did about heaven and hell combined. How many of you can guess the number one thing Jesus spoke about while He was on earth was? No, it was the kingdom of God. What's wrong with you heathens? The kingdom of God is the number one thing. Money is actually number two. Good guess, though. And so I feel so strong about this this morning because the Bible says that my people perish for lack of knowledge. And I feel like that some of us are struggling today financially simply because we don't know what God has to say about money. And so if you have your Bibles, let's look at the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved 
to money. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is that money makes promises that it cannot keep. Money will promise you what only God can deliver to you. And I think from, from my perspective, the number one rival of God today is not the devil. I believe it's money. And so again, the scripture says that no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So I want you to view everything I say today really through, through a positive lens. And even in this scripture, because again, it says you can't serve God and be enslaved to money. And that's good news because what that tells me is that as a believer, as long as God is my master, money will never master me. I will master it. And so I thought I'd do just a little bit of a, an exercise with you guys today just to kind of to relate to the God of the 21st century with his money. So ladies, if you're in the house today, I want you to grab your purse and I want you to just pull out your wallet right now. Come on, just play along with me. It's going to be fun. Grab your purse, pull out your wallet right now. Fellas, if you're in the house, I want you to pull out that little piece of leather in your pocket. Come on, don't be ashamed. Nobody's going to pass the offering baskets. We've already done that. Just pull it out right now. Come on, wave it at me. Everybody got your purse. You got your little piece of leather. All right, now here's what I want you to know. I just look at it. Just look at it, caress it, talk to it. Because what you need to understand is this is the God of the 21st century. And so as you're holding this, my question to you is, is this holding you? So let's take a little baby step in dethroning the God of materialism. I want you right now to take your wallet, take your, your, your purse, and I, I just want you to pass it to the person right beside you. Right now, just pass it right on over. Just pass it over there. And if you're sitting beside your spouse, how many of you know you are a blessed individual today? And all the fellows are like, she got her hand all up in my wallet anyway, bro. So just pass it there. Pass it there. Now here's what I want you to do. Now that you have someone else's money, I want you to give extravagantly to the kingdom of God today. <laughs> give it back to their rightful owner. Give it back to their rightful owner. Do you see the feelings and the emotions that were attached to that? Attached to your money? I mean, how difficult was that? Think about it. How difficult was that for you? How vulnerable did that make you feel? Number one, to pull out your wallet in church... But then number two, to pass it to the person next to you. But again, the Lord tells us that you can't serve two masters. You either love the one and hate the other, or you'll be drawn to one and despise the other. And so in fact, God here is actually really trying to get our attention. And He's saying, if I am the Lord of your life, then this little piece of leather should have no power over you. So what I want to do today is I want to give you just some life lessons as it relates to finances. And what I'm going to give you today, listen, you're probably not going to hear this in a secular seminar, but what I'm going to give you is something that has taken me 44 years to learn, and that is how the kingdom works. The way of the world hurts, but the way of the kingdom works. And if you're spending and operating your finances according to the way of the world, then you're going to run into a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of heartache, but the way of the kingdom works. So I want to give you three life lessons today, and I believe it can help break the financial pressure off your life if you grab a hold of what we're talking about today. Because a lot of you may have came in here today, and there's a dark cloud looming over you as it relates to finances. 
A lot of you uh, have hurts and mistakes and worry and stress and anxiety. But today, my prayer is that all that financial strain will be broken off of your life. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Lesson number one, write down the word generosity. Generosity. If we give first, what does that do inside of us? It builds faith. Generosity. How many of you are thankful that we serve a give first God? And what I want you to do is I want to look at John 3.16. And as we read this scripture, I want you to look at this scripture through the lens of dollars and cents. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that He gave. God was so motivated by love that He gave. What did He give? He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It was the love of God that motivated Him to give. Can I tell you something this morning? You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Let me say that again. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. If you don't believe me, how many of you have had to write a check this month already for house payment, rent note, car payment, light bill? Did did you just love writing that check? Were you like, yes, I get to pay my car payment again this month? No, no, you don't like doing it. So therefore, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. The Bible says God so loved the world that He gave. We serve a give first God. And there's three things that I want you to notice about what God gave. I want you to notice what He gave. I want you to notice when He gave. And I want you to notice how He gave. So what did He give? Number one, He gave us His best. You understand, God didn't just send some old broken down angel to give to you and I. It wasn't like he had 12 sons to choose from. He gave us his best. But then I want you to notice when he gave. He gave first. Think about this. Before we ever did anything, God sent his son Jesus to this earth. While we were yet sinners with no guarantee of our response, God gave his best. God gave his first. But then I want you to notice how he gave. He gave sacrificially. He gave sacrificially. What did Jesus do? He laid down his life on the cross. So God gives us his best. God gave us his first. God gives sacrificially. And God sets the model in place for how his children are supposed to operate. I want you to know today that if you have Jesus in your heart, then generosity is in your DNA. Generosity is in your DNA. It's a part of the character and nature of God. Hear me today. God's heart drips with abundance. God's heart drips with abundance. Aren't you glad you don't serve a stingy God? When it comes to grace, when it comes to mercy and patience and kindness and forgiveness, where would we be if God was a stingy God? How many of you are thankful that you woke up to new mercy this morning? And the reason why you woke up to new mercy this morning is because you used all of yesterday's mercy last night. So you woke up to new mercy, new grace, new opportunities. And when you do that, you realize that God loves you and cares for you. And He is a give first God. So our response is to be a give first church and a give first people. God's heart drips with abundance. But let me tell you how the world thinks. The world is always talking about lack. The world is preoccupied with lack. 
We always talk about what we don't have. I'm not talented enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I, you know, I didn't get enough done. And so we go to bed at night and we try to sleep and we, we're constantly beating ourselves up over all of the things we didn't get done in that day. And so the mentality of the world is all about lack, but the Spirit of God is abundance. And some of us in here today, we need to shift gears in the way that we think. We need to change our mentality from a scarcity mentality to an abundance mentality. And when you do that, that disarms your wallet. If you have a lack mentality, you will always be a slave to what is or is not in your wallet. But if you have an abundance mentality, how many of you know this thing will not have power over you, you will have power over it. Now listen, the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. That's one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. So in other words, if you put resources in the hand of a righteous person, then God is going to use that for kingdom purposes. So money is amoral. It's not good. It's not bad. It's what you do with it. And you know, somebody says, well, money changes people. No, not really. Money doesn't change a person, money just reveals who that person really was. So if you were a jerk when you're poor, you're going to be a colossal jerk when you're rich. It just reveals who you really are. And you know, I begin to think about two widows in the Bible, and some of you will have faith to receive what I'm about to say today, but, but two widows in the Bible, one of them was in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 17 where God sent the prophet Elijah to this woman and her son. She was, she was down to her last meal. There was a famine in the land. There was nothing to eat. She had a little oil and a little flour. She was going to cook her last meal and her and her son were going to eat it and then they were going to die. But the Bible says that God sent Elijah to her. But then there's another widow in the New Testament and Jesus notices her and compliments her in a church service during offering time. And it is the parable of the widow's might. How many of you remember that story in the Bible? This widow woman, all she had was two pennies and yet she gave what she had. I want you to notice these two women. One of them had a scarcity mentality. The other one had a mentality of abundance. The Old Testament widow thought in terms of lack. Elijah came to her and said, what do you have in your house? She immediately says, I don't have anything in my house. I have a little oil. I have a little flour. We're going to make a meal and then me and my son are going to die. She was so preoccupied with what she did not have. But the widow woman in the New Testament, all she had was two pennies and she gave God what she had and God provided her with what she needed. Think about this. The Old Testament widow had to challenge herself to trust God. Can you trust God with what little bit you have? Can you trust Him with what you have now? Little bit of flour, little bit of oil. She had no idea that if she was to put God first in that situation, then there was a lot more where that came from. But then you see here, the widow woman, she was giving everything she had, and as a result, God provided for her everything she needed. The heart of abundance will always put God first because you realize that God is not in heaven about to shut the lights off. Do you understand that God's not in heaven pacing heaven's floors right now saying, I don't know what we're going to do if the tithes and offerings don't pick up. I, I, I don't understand. We might have to shut the lights off in heaven. Don't y'all want to see the Big Dipper tonight? You understand God's not doing that. 
Listen, God does not lack anything. God doesn't need our money. Hear me today. I'm going to make a, a big statement today. God doesn't care about your money, but He is totally crazy about you. And He knows that where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And so we have to make a decision in life that we're going to be a generous people. How many of you know generosity just feels better? Let me ask you a question. Do you like hanging out with stingy people? Does anybody like hanging out with a stingy person? How many of you ever been to lunch with someone and you realize real quick when the bill come, you were eating with a stingy person? You know, the bill shows up and they all, they all, they're tying the shoe. I got, a, they, I got a phone call to make. They get up to go to the bathroom, but they don't have a bathroom pain. How many of you ever realized that? But generosity feels way better. So why is it that we operate, think, and talk lack, but we serve a God of abundance? I want you to hear me today. Give what you have in faith, and God will give you what you need in abundance. Why? Because the heart of God drips with abundance. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. If God would not withhold His one and only Son from you and I, why would He withhold the resources He knows that we need? You know, some time ago, the kids and I stopped by a store, and we were in there, and, and little Aiden, our youngest one, he, he just loves Skittles. And so little Aiden was running around, and he grabbed that pack of Skittles, and he was like, Daddy, can I have these? Can I have these? Daddy, please, can I have these? Daddy, can I have these? And I always just try to ignore him to start with, hoping he'll put it back, but he didn't this time. And so I said, I tell you what, baby. I said, yeah, because I'm thinking in my mind, I want some Skittles too. So I said, all right, come on, bring it. And so I paid for it, and we got in the truck, and I started the truck. And before I went down the road, I said, baby, I said, can I have a handful of Skittles? He looked at me. He said, no. He said, these are my Skittles. I'm going to eat my Skittles. And then he put his hand in the bag, so I couldn't put my hand in the bag. And I said, baby, I said, you realize that, that I bought those Skittles? He said, they're mine. I said, son, let me, let me, let's, let's do a little life lesson here. The toys you play with, the shoes on your feet, the clothes on your back, the house you live in, it's, uh, it's all because I provided it for you. Do you realize that? I said, boy, I could have walked in that store and bought every bag of Skittles. I could have rained so many Skittles down on you, son, and you won't even give me a handful. He said, okay, daddy. He gave me one Skittle. <laughs> one Skittle. And sometimes I wonder if we're not treating God the same way. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor. You want me to give 10%? I don't know. That's Old Testament. Okay, well, let's go New Testament on you then. Jesus told the rich young ruler, sell everything you've got and give to the poor. How many of you know 10% sounding pretty good right now? Why is it that we struggle to give God 10%, but we don't think twice about giving MasterCard and Visa 19%? Why is it that we have no problem going into a restaurant tithing to a waitress, but we come in here and tip God? And some of you first-timers are like, Lord, I knew we shouldn't have walked in that place today. Come back in a couple weeks. I promise it'll get better. <laughs> Listen, how many of you know you cannot outgive God? You can't outgive God. How presumptuous of us to think that we are more generous than God himself. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6 that Jesus gave and you and I are to give. And if we give, what does it do? It doesn't come back in the same way that you gave it. It comes back good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And some of you are thinking, well, I don't know, Pastor. You're preaching that prosperity gospel. No, I'm not. 
I'm not saying that every single one of you are going to walk out of here and get a brand new car. Be nice. I'm not saying you're going to get a brand new house if you do all this. Be nice. But how many of you know, I know a lot of people driving in a brand new car, living in a brand new house, and and their life is a hot mess. Brand new car in a mansion is not going to fix the financial strain and pressure on your life. This is a heart issue. Again, Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Somebody say generosity. I believe if God can get it through you, He'll get it to you. And the reason why some of us, our finances are escaping us is because we've got a stingy spirit. And God knows, hey, I can't get it through them, so I'm not going to get it to them. But let me just say this today. If you will release what's in your hands, God will release what's in His hands. Somebody say generosity. You give first and that builds faith. Number two, write down the word stewardship. Stewardship. You save second and that builds wealth. Stewardship is something we don't talk a lot about, but it is a big deal when it comes to finances. Stewardship is the ability to handle something with wisdom, discipline, and responsibility. Let me ask you a question. How many of you think it is a good idea to spend less than what you make? Come on, turn to somebody and say, we're not in Congress. Come on, how many of you know if we spent money like Washington, D.C., we'd be broke like no joke, yo? Setting a budget is simply giving a name to every dollar you make. A budget is telling your money where to go instead of always wondering where it went. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 5, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. Hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got to be smart. Got to be smart. How many of you know it's hard to out-earn stupidity? Be smart. Use wisdom. Be responsible with the resources that God has given to you. I heard a story some time ago about a man and his uh, wife. They were shopping and her purse actually got stolen. And so sometime later, the police officer called the man up and he said, Sir, we've got some great news. We, we caught the perpetrator. We've got him locked up. And hey, we, we've got your wife's pocketbook. We've got all the belongings. We've got all the credit cards. And we just need you to come to the station and get it. The man said, Absolutely not. I'm not coming. He said, Well, what do you mean? He said, You need to give all those credit cards to that guy because he spends a lot less money than my wife does. Some of us need what I call a plastectomy. It's called plastic surgery. you got to rein in those spending practices and be good stewards with what God has given to you. Listen to me today. If you can't be responsible with $50, why is God going to give you $500? Stewardship is the ability to responsibly spend and decide how to manage your finances. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18 says this, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. If you are in a covenant relationship with God as it pertains to your resources, then you understand that God's not just going to rain down money on you. God is going to give you the ability and the wisdom to use wise financial stewardship so you can take what God has given you, save, and have more in return. God's not going to rain $100 bills in your lap. That's not the way this works. God said, I'm giving you the ability to get wealth. 
How many of you know money can't make you happy, but debt is guaranteed to make you miserable? So I think we need to have margin in our life. We need to save for a rainy day because how many of you know it's going to rain? It's going to happen. How many of you ever heard of Murphy's Law? If it can go wrong, it will go wrong. But listen to me. If you've got margin, if you've got a savings, that operates as Murphy repellent. Murphy will go to your neighbor's house and leave you alone if you have a savings. You need to have margin in your life. And I recommend having anywhere from two to six months of your monthly expenses saved up. And some of you are like, well, Pastor, man, it's all I can do to make ends meet now. Listen, start with a dollar. Start with two dollars. Start with something to just work your way up to that. I remember when my granddad was alive, and, and I used to work the garden with him all the time. But in that garden, there was a certain spot in that garden that he said, don't go in that area. Don't put the tiller in that area. And I never understood why until later on in his life, I saw him walk out into the garden with a shovel and he was digging up a mason jar full of money. Maybe that's where you need to start. I don't know. Start somewhere to build margin in your life. Turn to somebody and say generosity. Giving first, build faith. Number two, stewardship. Saving second, builds wealth. Here's lesson number three, contentment. When you live on the rest, it builds contentment. Contentment will allow you to be ambitious for the right reasons. Nothing wrong with being ambitious as long as you're ambitious for the right reasons. Let me, do, let me just kind of leave you with this today. Look at your life and say to yourself, it could be worse. It could be worse. You know, the next time you're in a store and you see iPhone 20, and that thing is $3,000. If you've got the three grand and you want to put on the iPhone 20, then you go ahead. But if you don't have margin in your life, what's wrong with the phone you've got? You know, my kids pick on me all the time. Caleb is asking me all the time, when are you going to give me your phone? Well, I've got an iPhone 6. It's a hand-me-down. It still dials. It still texts. I can still get on social media and see how crazy you guys are acting. It, get, it, it does everything I need it to do. Caleb told me the other day, you need the iPhone 10. I said, why? It does what I need to do here. I said, I'll tell you what. I said, you've got a birthday coming up, October the 10th. I said, you want a guinea pig, don't you? He said, yeah. I said, I'm going to go buy a new iPhone and we'll just say forget the guinea pig. He said, no, your phone is fine. Sometimes you got to look at your life and look at your circumstances and say, you know, it could be worse. There's nothing wrong with having a new phone. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with, with, with the car you drive. And if it's a nice car and you love your car and you say, you know what, I, man, I, I, was driving, I was driving to Duke Hospital the other day and I saw a Tesla come up beside me. I said, whew, sure is nice. But then I thought 80 grand... I can live in something for 80 grand. I think my 2005 Chevrolet that smokes a little bit when I started to be just fine. Because it still gets me where I want to go. Could be worse. Next time you walk into your house or your apartment and you say, you know what, I want, I want that mansion. I want, I want that $400,000, $500,000 home. Again, nothing wrong with that. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm just saying... 
look at your budget. Be a good steward. And think to yourself, you know, it could be worse here. I don't have any water running on my head. When I go to El Salvador and and preach to those people, and I walk by and look at some of the things that they're actually living in, they have these houses and they're all up and down the the mountainside and on these hills and, and even in Ecuador it's like this and you walk into them and they literally have 5v10 just laying across some blocks. And they're just the happiest people I've ever seen in my life. Could be worse. Could be worse. Why? Because I'm not allowing these moments of my life to consume me. I don't want to get to the end of my life and stand before God and regret what I did with my time, my energy, or my finances. I want to invest in forever. I want to give school supplies to kids that don't have anything. I want to bless single moms who are just struggling financially and just trying to make it through the day. I want to invest in forever. I want to plant churches all over the world. Why? So that somebody can experience what we're experiencing. So that somebody can experience the joy, a joy that God said is unspeakable and full of glory. I'm investing in forever. 1 Timothy chapter 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. We got to be able to embrace contentment. We've got to do like Paul says and says, hey, don't, don't fix your eyes on everything here. All this is seen. See, taste, touch, feel. It's all seen. And yet it's all temporary. But fix your eyes on the eternal. Isn't it crazy to think that we spend so much time focusing on 70, 80, 90 years here when there's millions upon millions of years there? Why would we not focus on forever? Why would we not center our lives to say, God, I'm going to do everything you've called me to do. I said to you last week, when I stand before God on that day, I want to stand before Him empty. I don't want to live my life here and stand before God at that moment and say, man, I should have done that. I should have done this. God, there was a promise that you had for me and I didn't receive it. There was a calling on my life and I didn't go after it. I want to stand before Him empty. Say, God, I'm giving you everything I've got. And if that means coming in on October the 6th and taking this envelope, which incidentally, if you did not get this envelope last week, I want you to grab one on your way out. It's got instructions. It's got everything for October the 6th. I have no problem giving whatever God tells me to give. No problem. Because I know that there's an eternity awaiting for me. And I know that I can't give Him. So stand with me all over the house today.
generosity, stewardship, and contentment. You want to break some financial pressure off your life? If you want to break that strain off your life as it relates to your resources, generosity, stewardship, and contentment. I do a lot of marriages throughout the year. And, I, I, you know, I have a rule. I said, if you're going to get married, at least come and sit down with me, you know, at least three times, and, and let's talk. Let's make sure you got a good understanding of what's going on. If you're pretty jacked up, we'll carry it on to four or five. But in one of those sessions, people, I've had pastors tell me you're crazy for doing it, but in one of those sessions, generally it's the last one, I pull out the finances. I lay out a budget. And I said, I don't care what you make. That's irrelevant to me. Show me that you can do it. Show me you can do it. So Miss Haley, come next year. You and your man, show me you can do it. I want to make sure you know what you're doing because you can't live on love. doesn't pay the bills. And this is one subject, quite honestly, that I don't know of a pastor that really likes to preach on it. People don't like to hear it. But yet it's so important. Again, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God first more than anything else. A close second was finances. And finances is what causes all the pain and the stress and the heartache in our lives most of the time. But if we can do life God's way, then we can break that strain. We can break that stress. So, Father, right now, I thank you. I thank you for these moments. I thank you for the privilege of being here today. I thank you for speaking into our hearts, helping us to hear from you. God, help us to do life the way you intended it. As it relates to our time, as it relates to our energy, as it relates to our resources, God, we want to invest in forever. We want to stand before you at the end of this period in our life and hear the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. So we give you our life today. Help us, Lord, in the weeks to come, in the months and years to come. Help us to invest in forever. Help us to make wise decisions as it relates to eternity. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, give God a big hand clap of praise all over the house today, guys. I love you guys. I'll see you next week. Be blessed.